Outstanding, a board game podcast coming at you from five exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. Hi, that's me. Alessio. Hello, I run. Audrey. Here. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean today it's four exciting countries. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, sorry, right. I broke because last time you adapted. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say not David. Ah, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll, st- we'll start again. I'm sorry. Scra- no, 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 I, no, 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 I'm not finishing the intro now. I, I'll, I'll say four. No, like that's, go, de- that's going I, to I, be a, a humorous, very int- introductory intro. All right, just, all right. Just put you, the four All right, there. fine. D- don't scratch it. Let's go, you know. All right, okay. Uh, uh, not David, located in Germany, and I am your host, Fen. We'll be talking about a range of different board games from across the hobby. Uh, we'll start today with the standee catch-up. So, um, Alessio, what have you been up to? Oh, uh, this week I received my odd pledge from Kickstarter. So I I was doing, well, stuff for the podcast and uh, uh, gorging in that goodness because actually it has a high, high, high production value. It's super cool, but... I think I'll do an unboxing video so you will see alright okay and Audrey how about you yeah I'm good I would say last weekend or the one be- yeah last weekend with my boyfriend we went to the uh, board game store here and we bought uh, bees uh, the Vampire Heritage uh, game as a second hand it, it was just opened so it was 40% off um, and uh, Everdell so we played bees yet uh, Vampire is going to wait because we have the Tainted Grail campaign which is still ongoing and we are waiting till we finish a campaign game before we start another one and oh. the next one will probably be Pandemic Legacy Season 0 anyway I wish I wish to have your problems. Uh, actually, I, I want uh, Tainted Grail so bad. <laughs> My it's Kickstarter will, will never arrive. Will yeah, never arrive. I think I made the best choice when I selected two waves delivery. Yeah, yeah, okay. Kids who listen uh, never, never get uh, two uh, single wave language edition from uh, Awaken Realms. It's becoming a meme. <laughs> A I meme. second that. <laughs> a meme. <laughs> yeah. Never, never get one way of shipping with language edition. Not a meme, a meme. Is that how uh, it's Meme, okay, yeah, well. Yeah, that, that's Italian with a, with a bit of Greek. So, yeah, meme. Meme. Okay, meme. <laughs> okay sure, sure. Uh, and how about the, the man of mystery, Alexis? What have you been up to? <laughs> uh, I've been very... Uh busy with uh, IRL stuff unfortunately so I haven't been that much able to to play uh, I've played a bit of uh, King's Dilemma with uh, dun, dun, dun. and uh, a couple of friends so that has been uh, pretty fun we're, we're still uh, going through the, the storyline I think that we finished uh, two so far I also received quote unquote my uh, Kingdom Death pinup but I still need to shell out 70 euros to get it so that's uh that's going to be fun i'm in talk with um apg at the moment to see uh how the fuck do they got 70 euros of custom fee because yeah that's a lot yeah 
Well, I mean, they could take a leaf out of the book of the Board Game Geek store. I received yesterday my Board Game Geek promo delivery that I ordered ages ago because I wanted to get some of the posters for the gaming area. And it just turned up. No tracking, no none of that. Um, and wham, bam, no customs. <laughs> they just declared zero value on everything. And I was like, Ooh, we shouldn't have done that. I had a fee for the pinups of Kingdom Death, I had a 50 euros value on each item, and French Post said, go. <laughs> yeah, I had the 50 euros for each one too, and I got, I think, 38 and something euros to pay. As, uh, yeah, I'm fees. going to, to check that. I know that the custom um, handling fee in Belgium is really high, so if the, um, the company doesn't declare it properly, uh, they, like, having to go through custom and to wait always jacks up the price incredibly. Um, so I don't know if, if APG just didn't declare it properly or if something happened, but uh, I need to, to check with all that and uh, it's not fun. Um, I, 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 mine were all declared at $50 a piece, not even euros, but dollars. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I have like I can say uh, I I do have some professional experience with customs inspections, um, but for uh, not for typical deliveries, but for criminal ones. Um, anyway, to get back to it, uh, they actually I gotta be fair. They do generally do very good customs declarations, but this stuff coming from the warehouse in the UK has it's had the paperwork, but definitely somebody not knowing what they're doing has um, been putting the wrong things in here and there yeah and it's been lasting since black friday but well i mean the amount of packages made it worse Uh, yeah actually i think we can give this this kind of news uh for anyone who doesn't already know uh, adam has declared at least in an email for the people who got after January their Wave 3.1, then see that since Wave 3.2, uh, their sh- uh, APG is taking uh, the the fees on them for uh, import charges. So we, we we'll see actually. I am not exactly sure of that because uh, somewhere in the Kickstarter there was announced uh, by a, a simple comment that there would be a, wa- a European warehouse for the next wave. So yeah, okay, that's cool. But the people that were told that Adam Putz game would handle the, the fees are the people that will have their wave 3.1 sent from the US due to the mess of the UK warehouse. So I am not sure that this thing doesn't address just the people that uh, had their 3.1 cent from the US. So for now, I would refrain from making any uh, conclusion. Uh, yeah, exactly. Th- that's just the news we know. I think that the mail uh, said exactly the only thing we can do is to take charges on us. So uh, this is what we know, basically. And uh, I, we, we don't know if this will be what will happen, actually. So this is just the news. Take, take it with caution. But uh, take it, take the news. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly what's going on, and it's not made easier by the company's inability to use their two official channels correctly. As in Kickstarter news, Kickstarter update, not comments, update, and everything else like say the card pack 
in the monthly or whatever <laughs> emails that are meant to go from the store. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't want to bring uh, the discussion to this, but I want to also say that uh, 1.6 update shouldn't be in Kickstarter update. Absolutely, agreed. No, agreed. no, no. <laughs> no, it's not It's not a Kickstarter thing. Uh, even though it's been paid for on back a kick, this was never a Kickstarter thing. This is meant to be a course correction from the company fixing stuff they should have fixed in 1.5 when they were told about it well in advance. And I'm pretty sure there's still stuff they're not going to have fixed because uh, I keep digging and finding more and more things that are just like, oh, are they going to fix this? Probably not. There's a bunch of people that bought it through the store too and probably do, are not in the Kickstarter and have no mm -hmm. reason to check the Kickstarter. So Absolutely, yeah. Let's not make this a Kingdom Death like discussion type thing. Uh, suffice to say, it's still a bit M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what's been going on my side. Uh, what about you, Fen? Oh, I always try and dodge this question. Um, <laughs> I, Not today. I, I picked up Paleo in German to get to play it a bit. Um, it's Why slow going because that's the only way I could get it because my UK copy um, it has gotten like horribly caught up in customs and is having lots of problems. Oh, no. So so I picked it up in German and then um, David can have it if he wants it or I've got a few other people I know in Germany who I can pass it on to. But I wanted to play it to talk about it a bit further down the line. Um, then I got completely distracted by playing Awkward Guests, which is fascinating. Um, it is a card-based deduction game where they've got like several million different combinations 3600 different possible outcomes for who could have done it making it massively replayable and it just has 250 cards um a few preset combinations in the book and then an app to play all of the rest you can play it solo uh, just trying to deduce your way through like uh, a replayable um sherlock holmes consulting agency Ooh. um yeah or you can play it like competitively with up to eight other people with with you all sharing information back and forth and trying to be the first person to solve it uh it's that sounds fun it's apps like the the artworks is um sepia weird kind of slightly funky odd sort of thing um i was considering whether i was going to do a full piece on it but i think this is enough to just say if this is the kind of thing you like if you've played say mystery at the abbey or mystery express or even cluedo and being like i want a proper deduction game uh but you don't want something that you play once and you're done like um uh crime chronicles or sherlock holmes consulting detective this just kind of fills that space um the app has a few problems uh it, it's it doesn't for my phone it keeps it fails to hold attention on the phone so the phone keeps powering off and i've had the phone power off and then i booted back up and the case i was following vanished but damn battery policy yeah, yeah that was that the was history of the vanishing case yeah yeah so i had to restart again from the beginning um and also they they've done the thing i hate which is they've done pads for paper so you have to write on a pad on a piece of disposable paper please you know if you're going to do pads in a game forget that do what railroad ink did and do laminate with uh non-permanent markers because it's just it's just better it takes up less space and i don't have to sit there and look at this pad and be like i don't really want to use it i'm gonna have to get four of them laminated or eight of them laminated um so yeah but i i don't know they must have done this through computer 
like procedural generation or something or a lot of flow charting i've no idea how they put together the system because it's like tracking where people have traveled tracking what weapons they may have used what motives they have um uh, and all of this and, and you will always get to a definitive answer of who did it if you manage to make the deductions and they're not easy like things i did one case where uh, it, you had to kind of work out that there was all that, that the twins were responsible for it and they what route they'd taken and they snuck through like cleverly um without being spotted and it was the gaps where you could work out they did it you know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the the mechanics of card deduction, which uh, replayable, th they are one of the hardest mechanics to achieve right. So if the game is cool, it's actually worth a shot. Yeah, yeah. It it is. Could you restate the name? Awkward guests. Okay, that yeah. sounds very fun. Yep, no. yep, it is. It's really stylized. It's really cool. It reminds me of a bit of like Knives Out or Clue, the movie, that kind of fun of, of deduction. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm, I hope they do some more because, yeah, uh, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I both uh, Arkham or Final Hour just because of the, the card deduction part when you guess the symbols of the ritual it is obviously not focused on the card deduction but that part was smart so i bought the game and it actually delivers a bit so yeah cool cool always get a game with cool card deduction yeah well uh, we're going to go from cool card deduction to super sleuthing and spies with um uh, audrey you're going to talk to us about uh, the loop i believe from maxime rubble and theo riviere so take it away. Yeah, I haven't seen many discussions about this game on the few Facebook groups uh, that I'm a member of at the International, but uh, in the French community, that uh, game seems to have made a, a strong impression, but I think it's made by French designers, so that might be uh, not, um, not a surprise. Uh, so that's um, the loop is a game where you have to defend the world uh, against the doctor foe. In French, it's foo. Uh, you play a temporal agent, a bit like uh, MIB, but for time and not for alien. So a few uh, a few of the agents have their style that makes me think of MIB. Uh, and you will navigate through time to. Uh, prevent Dr. Fo from breaking the time-space continuum, basically. So the idea is that the Dr. Fo is uh, sending clones of himself at different periods of time, so there are seven periods of time in total, and uh, then he uses the clones to build temporal instability at each period of time, and if um, a period of time gains too much instability, there will be a time vortex there. If the Dr. Fo manages to um, to create enough vortexes, it's game over for the players. If the Dr. Fo has to create a vortex somewhere where there was already a vortex, the player lose. The player, the players lose. So it's a cooperative game where the the players have to prevent uh, the Dr. Fo. How do you do it? There will be at any time free missions disponible. Available uh, free missions available. The free missions are something like destroy a clone, make a loop, 
I'll get back to that later. Um, B2 players around the time machine of the Doctor Loop. The time machine is in the middle of the board. And honestly, I think it's a very fun uh, piece of the of design. So you have a machine with three uh, slopes that come out of it at different angles. And things like that. So you will do the missions and you have to achieve uh, four missions to win the game. So you have just one winning conditions and several losing conditions. So it's not really an easy game and you may lose the first game, but that's okay. And so you will move through the different periods of time to punch the clones. You have to move them around the board to send them to a special period of time to kill them. Each clone is linked to a period of time where if he gets there, he dies instantly. It's the paradox. It's a temporal paradox. And you can also remove the temporal instability from the time periods and uh, make a loop. So the loop is that to do these actions that I uh, just mentioned, you have cards, three cards on each turn. And the cards have symbols on them. There are four different symbols, the fourth one being actually no symbol. <laughs> and a loop is to consume energy that's been uh, added to the time period by you or by another player at some point. And when you loop, you consume that energy and you renew your cards. So you can act again. So let's say I have three different cards. I'm going to, make, to say something very simple. Two of them have the same symbol. One has a different symbol. I will play my first card to move a zone. I will play my second card to add an energy to that zone. And I will play my third card with a different symbol to um, to let's say to erase one instability from that zone and then I will consume the energy that I just added there to loop and renew my cards with the two same symbols so I will be able again to move one zone and to add one energy. Each loop costs one energy more to do so if you want to loop a lot you have to prepare it by spreading energy everywhere to make things available and many energy at some places. There are five different characters available and each one has a specialty. Some of them uh, will prevent instability from being added to the game. Uh, some will uh, increase movement for themselves or for the other agents. Uh, some of them are specialized in clone um, destruction. And at the end of each player turn, you will be on one time period and attached to this time period there might be cards and you will take this card and add it to the top of your deck for next turn. So there is a, uh, an element of deck building in the game and I think it's very fun because you have to, con to control which card you get by where you end on the map on the board and I think that's something a quite funny. Because you really have the choice, but then it, maybe that choice will be uh, changed due to where you have to go kill clones, for instance. So, yeah, I think you have lots of things to take into account in this game, and it's less simple than it might seem. Yeah, actually, I have a question. Yes! Uh, so, uh, I think that uh, you, you understand that this compares a lot with the regular pandemic, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, I think uh, that from what I saw from the rules, but I, I didn't play it, so it's actually a genuine question here. Uh, 
I think that uh, the cool part is that uh, since uh, the clones uh, do splash damage in other uh, t timelines, ti other epochs, uh, you cannot exactly predict uh, where damage will be. So instead of playing a math game like Pandemic, you are actually try trying to minimi minimize consequences everywhere. Does this work? Is it fun? Yeah, exactly. The time machine has three slopes that will send the instability cubes to three different uh, times. And it depends on the number of clones that are at the time uh, which is in the middle. So, yeah, of course, if you put four cubes in the machine, because there are, it's, it's always two clubs, two, two cubes plus two plus, plus one per clone on the, on the time that's... Uh, facing the machine so if you have two clones facing you will put four cubes in the machine and yes for the four cubes might drop at the same period of time which will create a vortex instantly yes it can happen <laughs> so that's why the, that, that's a bit why the game isn't as easy as it might seem because the clones uh, are random so each clone has a backside which shows one a period of time and a front side that shows another period of time. So you place them on the backside um, corresponding period of time and you have to uh, to move them to the front side period of time to destroy them. So there is a bit of randomness there. And there is also the randomness of yeah, how many cubes do you put in the machine and where do they fall. The thing is that when the turns uh, you, you, ha you play at maximum, uh, 21 turns, seven turns because it's one for each period of time at the first, uh, uh, how do I call that, uh, step, seven again at the second step and seven again at the first step. And yes, that's the final losing condition. If you get to the end of that and you haven't accomplished the four missions, you lose. And there are seven cards for each uh, time that you will lose on each step. At, when you get to two cards remaining, you know that these two periods are likely to be drawn next turn. It's going to be one of these. And so you can plan a bit ahead and say, oh, next turn, it's going to be the machine is going to be facing the, uh, let's say, uh, modern time and the Renaissance. So yeah, we have to get to one of these and clean it up. Or maybe the two if we can. You know, before Pandemic uh, Legacy hit, uh, I would have considered this an annoyance, but after playing a lot of the Legacy games uh, wh where you basically end up getting the same location uh, over and over again, I, I, I think this could be refreshing and at the moment funnier. Yeah, you, you can plan the randomness. Yeah, uh, from when we, we played together, the fact that the... Um... Uh, the dice tower at the center that that is the the time machine always has a specific randomness like it's always going to be the a specific uh, time and then the two around it so you can always plan around that and it adds that just that little bit of um uh partial luck mechanic sometimes where you can be like we can only protect two zones so we have to decide which one we are going to protect or we can walk towards the mission and just hope that it doesn't land on the the one uh, zone that we don't that we can't protect at the moment like there's you know that each um each zone has like a 30% chance of being hit by the by the time machine so you can um you can always sort of uh decide if you prioritize it or not it's pretty fun i uh, i thought 
because it is random, but it's you can predict it in some ways. Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually what it looks to be fun. So I, I wanted just confirmation uh, because games like this uh, with a push your luck element. Uh, all need to be fun because you will end up uh, repeating stuff because uh, you won't know because there's a bit of randomness you won't know what will happen next and so as long as it doesn't feel like a chore you you are doing it right it's fun it's cool and it looks like that yeah yeah one of our, one of the bonus well one of the things which for me are a bonus is that the game has lots of difficulty levels actually because the first thing is that yeah you have difficulty levels as uh, how many clones are on the board at the beginning of the game so if you add more clones it gets a bit harder and there are guides in the rulebook to tune that uh, you also have two other game modes which I haven't uh, tried yet so you have one with the super clones and one other with extra kind of time time machines but they're not exactly uh, they don't behave the same way and in the box of the game you have like tons of achievements to read and you can tick them and they're super fun like uh, there is uh, different uh, things so one one is basically win at each different game mode and each different game difficulty uh, there is one other as win before the first step before the end of the first step win before the end of the second step etc etc win at the last card of the last step etc um, etc et and there are uh, everything is presented as um, resume because yeah you're agent so it's professional and there are like um, Something like uh, one player is in advance at the gaming session of uh, half an hour or more, uh, listening to the uh, soundtrack of Back to the Future. Uh, one player is wearing a um, bow tie, <laughs> play in 2040, <laughs> etc. Or have players turn, turn late to the gaming event, etc. Et I think that's very funny because you can also track what you did. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I absolutely adore the aesthetic of this game, the Saturday morning cartoon kind of um, uh, thing. It's it's just beautiful, and I like the uh, the characters you play with the their specially shaped meeples. Um, I want to check because there's many ways this aesthetic reminds me a bit of um, Tim Fowers' uh, stuff, like Burgle Bros. He does a lot of spy-fi. Uh, do you get stickers to stick on those little? Um, Wooden meeples, or do they remain plain with the the fun shapes that they have? Uh, not in the game. Oh, that's a bit of a shame. I, I was looking at the character cards, and I was like, I really like them, apart from V-Girl being a bit unfortunately named. I, I say, I think one of the reasons not a lot of people are talking about this yet is because, um, from what I've looked at, this game hasn't made it to Sweden yet, uh, and it hasn't made it to the UK either, at the few UK stores I know that I've checked. So that might be part of it. Uh, definitely feels like more people should be talking about it. The English edition came out last year from Pandasaurus Games, and maybe it's just not reached the, the, the wide market that it will do uh, eventually. Yeah. The offers yeah. are Maxime Rambourg, Théo Rivière, uh, I mean, I think they're French. Or maybe Canadian, but uh, that explains why the French market has the game already. And the illustrator, as uh, as long as I'm here, is Simon Caruso, and I think, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, by the looks of it, uh, one of them lives in Nancy, or Nancy in France. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah they we different. say both depends on the people. Yeah, it depends on the people. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, a little bit like uh, unlike uh, unlike Worcester. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, no, that's that's um, that's good. Oh, oh, oh my goodness! Yes, yes. Uh, Maxime did um, the Big Book of Madness, which I have and I love. I love the Big Book of Madness. <laughs> oh, that, that that was a suggested reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I as a summary, I think that the Loop uh, is a good game. It's it's not a very expensive game. You still have to fish a bit more than thirty euros. Uh, it's I think forty five ish. Uh, but uh, you have a big replayability uh, potential in there, especially with the different game modes. And so I think that's a game that can make it to the shelves and then be played two or three times a year and always be fun. Okay, yeah, I, I think it sounds great. Um, I'll have to keep an eye out for when it comes out because that, that designer with uh, Pandasaurus and this particular theme is like, yes, please, and I do love my cooperative games. So I think we can go from fiddling with history onto mythological history with um, uh, Alexis. You're going to be talking about Tainted Grail, which uh, made me laugh that they describe it as a blend of Arthurian legends and Celtic mythology. Arthurian legends are Celtic mythology, <laughs> but uh, this is a fascinating game that I'm sure most people have heard of. Um, yes, please so... explain it to me. <laughs> Very strange. Well, Arthurian legends are in a lot of ways uh, inspired by French mythology since uh, they've been like rewritten yeah. dozens of times and that the the most yeah. popular version of it right now has been published by a, by a French author in the Certainly. 18th century. I don't want to get into it here. It's just that Arthur was, Arthur was a Celt, specifically a Welsh. That legend has been kind of uh, it, it appropriated has. by the French. It's like, it's like Stonehenge. Arthur, Cuillère. <laughs> that, that that was the Camelot instant. Sorry, French yeah. Uh, series. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 an interesting take though on um on on changing everything. So uh, uh and it's it's a bit like Seventh Continent, isn't it? Yeah. So Tainted Grail, as Fane pointed out, takes place in a world inspired by Arthurian legends. Uh, most of the familiar mythical ideas are still present, but moved around and lit through a darker prism. The story pans out a hundred years after Arthur and his knight conquered Avalon. A long time ago, Merlin and the Druid erected Menhir to keep the weird magic of the Isle at bay and allow the settlers to create their villages and uh, tribes. Now the magic is running out, the end of the world is coming close and the knights of the round table are disappearing. The players are alternating from a village that decided to try and find a way to restore the manners. For that, they need to send out their best out. And all of them died. So the players are part of the B team, sent afterwards to give it a second shot. Each hero has its own uh, weakness that make them unable to join the first team. And coming through those weaknesses of body or character is an important part of the story as it unfolds. I really like the idea that you play as the not so heroic team. Um, it really reinforces that idea that the age of heroes and myth uh, is coming to an end on Avalon and that really permeates through the whole game. Uh, in the 
actual gameplay, the game is based on exploration. So you have a map made out of cards that you reveal bit by bit as you explore. Your action on some location might affect other, forcing you to swap out the cards. And when you explore location, you have a choose your own adventure book that tells you what happened on that specific location. The game is really at its best with the narrative bits and the mechanical ways it plays around that lore and story. Certain cards and ability are shuffled around in ways that gives a tangible weight to the change that you bring to the world. There's a survival element to the game that at its best gives a bit of pressure to select the right option and force you to leave stone unturned for a second playthrough. Unfortunately, most of the time it feels like an excuse to hold the game and grind out the ways to regenerate the few resources that you need to go forward. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I just want to agree with that because uh, I got to say, if you're going to do a game and you want to make it about survival, um, make it about survival, but don't put survival in your story games. Um, yeah, it has the same flow, uh, the same flow at Seven Continent. <laughs> we and I, uh, with my boyfriend, we house ruled both those games to lessen the uh, the the grind elements. A lot of people did that. Yeah. yeah. I definitely agree with that. Uh, thankfully, those upkeep mechanics are usually easier to handle with house rules as they are very me mechanical and often self-contained. But given that the game offers a fantastic world, I would have hoped that they could have opted for some um, more interesting take on death and failure. Um, dying could have been a sort of a mythical transformation or playing something with the resurrection or a narrative step in the game rather than simply uh, roll back to the start of the chapter, which always feels both clunky and less interesting than any other option that it could have gone through. Uh, the game has a lot of really interesting gameplay solution to a narrative uh, story, I think. Like the way that you progress to a chapter is that you have like a deck of cards that will contain different mission and different uh, timed events. And every in-game turn, you're going to turn another card, which will uh, sometimes reveal a random event, sometimes reveal a story one. And I just think that th there's a lot of little ways that they manage to to get that sense of time passing and missions and stories and quests that works nicely. And one of the other big elements of the game is the combat system, which is extremely innovative, I, I feel. I know that uh, Fan didn't like it, <laughs> but I personally had a lot of fun with it. Basically, every enemy in the game has a specific set of action, uh, like a sort of a set AI. Uh, while the player has a deck of cards that they can play in a sequence, matching symbols to trigger different actions. The point of the combat is to create a sequence that will do enough damage to the enemy to win the battle, basically. Yeah. I, I think for me, the combat, I'd have engaged with it a lot better without some of the other trappings of the game. Um, I, 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 did, I haven't played the physical copy, but first of all, it set me on a bit of, like, I wasn't particularly happy with the, the characters that you play as. In particular, I'm like, well, why are the female characters that come in the main game? <sighs> There's a lot of skin, and 
And it's like, well, this isn't, you know, that that I tried oh, to put that to on. one side. No, no, I'm I'm sorry, but uh, it, it's it's just like, it's it's. I know I paint Kingdom Death pinups and stuff, but actually my favourite Kingdom Death pinups is now that they're doing the male ones as well. No, it was, no, it's, yes, it's, yes. yeah, it's, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I wasn't, I'm not gonna, I wasn't gonna hold it against them at that, but that was just like a first, like, oh, uh, that's kind of, it could have been better, but I, I'll look past it. It's the, it's the survival. And then the constant, like, oh, there might be something if you come back here, sort of, like, thing. Those two elements together, I just, it, it dragged down the good parts. And the combat, for me, I I think I'd have enjoyed it in a game which just didn't have this bog of um, constant survivaling. If, if I'd been willing to house rule that out and just do the exploring and the amazing story stuff and everything, I think for, it might have flowed better, flowed better for me. So uh, um, uh, mechanically, the I do think the combat is a very clever. The Act. house rule that we... The, oops, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I wanted just to say that uh, the, the combat is actually real cool and that's very cool mechanics. The, the only problem with combat is that uh, at the start uh, you, you run away a lot and uh, you begin building that's uh, a, a satisfying, uh, a, that's exceptionally satisfying the house rule that we did with my boyfriend is that when we lit, when we light a mini, instead of uh, it being up for uh, seven turns minus one per player, which for us would be five turns, we decided to always light a mini at its maximum time, which is eight turns. I could see that being a lot less frustrating. We also fucked up some rules. We messed up with some because we didn't uh, read properly the book or we forgot about them because we started playing and then we had a long pause and when we got back we forgot about some rules. So there's also uh, this. So we made things a bit easier on us because we forgot that for combat and diplomacy we had to alternate between the players. Basically at two players it's alternate uh, more or less because you have to have the two players that act before anyone can act again and we forgot about that so uh, my boyfriend which got the uh, blacksmith character Beor is uh, has a much better deck of combat and where I choose Arev which is basically the former so I have less efficient uh, combat deck so he was playing a lot and at some point we said oh no we have to actually activate both of us before we can do something again oh and that was the last session, and we are at chapter 11 now, and... Oh! <laughs> so, uh, but I think that's not really a problem in itself, because we are much more interesting, interested in the narrative um, idea, and we know that we will play another game, because we want to explore the choices that we didn't do uh, for now. I'm, I'm not going to spoil too much, but you can help uh, the roundtable or uh, make them fall, and we decided to help them and so that led us to some choices and we know that the next time we probably will make them fall J just just to see because we are very curious about it and we want to see what's how things work and i think that's part of the thing then that you said when you when you mentioned that yeah you come to a place you read the booklet and it says oh if you are playing chapter then go to entry 7. And that's a bit frustrating because you say, oh, I can't do that yet. But, oh, you have to say, oh, I have to open my notebook and write that, hey, let's come back to this place when we are playing chapter 10. And that's a bit frustrating. Honestly, that's, yeah. Because 
either you end up with tons of bookkeeping or you end up with oh I'm going to miss on so many things so yeah but then with the replayability I think that's not too much of an issue because you have different branching paths to explore so yeah I, I gotta say um, all like Tainted Grail played it a little bit um, all of the good things I hear and read about it it leaves me like excited and then all of the things that people talk about as negatives I'm like I'm glad I'm not playing it because I would probably just play it a bit and get frustrated however the game the reason the game exists is the reason that I backed ISS Vanguard um, uh, yeah. because <laughs> and that you know uh, I, so I am excited about an Awaken Realms project and I'm getting in English so it's going to arrive early yeah, I will get ISS Vanguard in English because uh, I can't wait. <laughs> we we picked uh, we picked Tainted Grail in French because uh, it's it's more convenient for my boyfriend when he has to read in French, and for myself having a book in English and having to say things out loud in French is sometimes difficult honestly because uh you have to read the full sentence because sometimes you have to change the orders of things when you change languages yeah. or if you read as you read uh it gets problematic so i'm waiting on the second wave because i picked two wave delivery yes i did yes i did um so <laughs> <laughs> i've had the core game for a while now and i'm waiting for the second wave and uh, i know as well that we are waiting for the second wave well first we have to finish the first campaign yes but then we are waiting on the second wave to start the second one anyway because we want to use the echoes of the path i think it's called uh, expansion where you have to do some achievements for characters and you will unlock uh, other story elements and yeah as we focus on the narrative that's going to be something that we want yeah the yeah. Um, echoes of the past uh, expansion is is a nice little bit of a narrative addition where if you fulfill certain conditions with your character so for example you need to uh, visit location x and have a dream with uh, one of the character for example if you do that then you get to uh, read a specific lore entry and you get a little power up for that character uh, sometimes it's temporary, sometimes it's permanent. I think that it adds a lot to the game, and and I would I would recommend that uh, that expansion. I don't know yet about the the two bigger ones because I've yet to play them. Uh, I do have them because I got the uh, English uh, two wave uh, shipping, I think. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah. I think that these two expansions, if you are a player that, uh, like me, focuses on the narrative uh, elements, uh, you have to... Um maybe you will have to use different house rules if you do use house rules uh, in the fall of Avalon campaign because the minions, for instance, uh, are not the same mechanics or are just not there in these other expansions. So things are a bit different. And that's also something that I really like uh, in the core game. It's that rules can evolve. I'm not going to spoil too much because that's uh, about chapters and... Uh, eight and forward uh, but uh, things that you could take for granted at some points will change and you will have to say oh now I have to think differently about how I move where I go etc and it keeps us on our toes and we love that yeah there's a lot of uh, branching narrative in the game in the main campaign uh, I'm going to say that it's, uh, quote-unquote, not that much. Uh, you will often have uh, a couple of clearly labeled choice on how to go forward. And 
if you have a third or a fourth choice, there will usually be more like roundabout ways to go back to those first uh, couple of choices. You're not going to have uh, dozens of different paths, but in the end of the game, there is uh, certainly a few endings that you can reach, a few different endings that you can reach because of the culmination of those different paths. But uh, on the map itself, in certain location, you're going to have a smaller mini quest. And if you do them or not, uh, later on during other chapters, those location might, might actually change. So for example, um, it's not something that happens in the game, but you might find a village that has a problem. And if you help them uh, later on, there'll be like a, a better, like a, a traveling hub. So when you go there, they actually will have resources to, to exchange with you or something. But if you don't help them when you come back later, it's going to be like a brigand um, outpost and you will have to do fights there. Um, like Yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sort of stuff happens a lot. And I think that's where the game is at its strongest when you have a um, decision that you took uh, early on that have an effect later in the game. And that effect is not... Uh, you know, just it, it, it's not just going to block a narrative from you. Like if you fail to help them, it's not just going to say, well, this place is dead now. There's going to be a brigand campment and there's going to be like a brigand encounter and maybe some quests. And it, they usually manage to make it that even in failure, there's some progression, which makes the, um, the survival uh, mechanics even more of a shame because they didn't do that there. Yeah, kind of fail forward, don't right. Yeah. No, no, I, I just wanted to stress a thing that you already said, which is uh, the narrative is real, real good. Uh, this game has issues, and some are really frustrating because uh, uh, keeping collecting resources is actually a big flow of Seven Continent 2. And in Seven Continent, you are. Um, even more on a clock. Now, I am still waiting to play, and I think in 2021 I won't play Tented Grail, So, uh, but I played it in English, a fair share of it, and I have to say that the, the, the narrative is very, very good. It makes you forget that there are mechanical issues with the game, because you, you want to play just th th that that bit more to to unlock uh, a progress in the story and within that characterization of all the characters is very good they are so interlocked they, they, they are so cool because basically uh, like you said you were using the b team but it is even less that beat him in, in Tainted Grail, the heroes have already failed, and you are you are the flawed one who returned. I think uh, I, I have now problems with connecting names to characters, but I remember Niam or Niam yep. or whatever. The she's character called. that comes without a board and that scandalized so much the communities. Where she, is Niam board? That's amazing. Yeah, she, she's the coolest character there, and that that that's why okay. Uh, that's why I, I was uh, telling Fen, yes, there's some skin and that is a shame because characters are so good even if they're too much skin shown in some cases. Yeah, uh, it's 
uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's just leaning into that stereotypical trope of, oh, the Celtic lady, oh, not much in the way of clothing going on, which is like actually complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, that's a problem. It can undermine a very strong character ruining a first impression, which sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is something that Tainted Grill uh, has done often because for some of the character, instead of... Um having uh, their artists specifically design them uh, according to their lore and everything, they put those characters' design up to the Kickstarter's packer to the side. Uh, and, um, well, you know, crowd, up, crowd being what they are, it often ends up being the skimpier designs that are picked, uh, unfortunately. We woo male gaze, here we yeah. go. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it happens. I'm just glad that like we're we're moving forward away from that in the case of a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, which is actually part of why the next game we're talking about is gonna is what it is. But uh, I I, <laughs> I, I, I got to say um I it's uh it's Christoph Piskor Piskorski, uh, a Polish writer who does the writing behind this. He's doing the writing ISS Vanguard, and that has me really excited. Uh, and also the ISS Vanguard miniatures, man, they're all dressed in like exosuits. They That's look good. like they're they're tooled for the job, you know. It's um, yeah. it, it's it's. I'm really hopeful that uh, they they take his writing and just get it right because they've they've been so close to Tainted Grail for me. They've been so close with Etherfield, but they've never quite got there. It's always sort of been a game that's had this moment where I've just been like. I can see what's going to keep on happening here, and this just feels like busy work. We definitely need to uh, talk about Nemesis at some point. Uh, oh, because... Nemesis on the other oh, hand. Oh, yes. Yeah. Core game, please. Nem Nemesis, yeah. That's <laughs> definitely something to talk about. Is a, that's just a, a, a surefire hit. I, I, I've got some of the, the promo cards I mentioned at the, the opener were for Nemesis. Uh, crawl spacing, um, special character feats, and I think special objectives or something. Um, that's... I, I really like um, really like Nemesis. I picked it up after the Kickstarter. Yeah. Tainted Grey is the only Awakened Realms that I have and that I'm waiting on uh, for now. Uh, mostly because the other themes don't really talk to me much. Uh, but if they get back to something fantasy later, I probably will there, especially if it keeps being narrative. Yeah, I think I got Nemesis like uh, seven months ago. I backed it in Kickstarter, but still uh, s single wave language edition. So. Again! <laughs> um, There's a lesson to learn there. And yeah, I like Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, that that's something that I can say is that um, I really like Awaken Realms. They're not always perfect. Uh, their game always has little uh, flaws here and there. But I think that they're always on a very good path to get a great mm. game out. Yeah, and, they, they, and usually, they keep... Yeah. yeah, they keep improving. Yeah, they keep improving yeah. and ironing out the problems. Mm. Uh, also, really good inserts. Yeah, except, except, except it doesn't accommodate sleeved cards on Tinder. I will show that when I will do uh, a, a does. video. I will just take what's on the what's inside the box right now because there are just yeah. cards outside. Uh, uh, Say so Nemesis has extra space for sleeved cards, specifically says for sleeved cards on it. So I guess maybe they, uh, they messed up. That's unfair. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we move on, uh, I'd like to point out one little thing that they did with Tinted Grail that was very strange, but turned out to be uh, pretty good, is that they decided to make a video game at the same time that they pushed out uh, Tinted Grail. And they didn't went for an adaptation of the board game, they went for keeping the theme and the characters, but doing a different story and a different gameplay. And it was a very strange decision, but from what I've played uh, of it so far, it's actually really good. I think that Fen, you played it? Yeah, I played, I, I it. played it. it did I grab should me. play it. Did it grab you? No, no, it's just sort of I played it for a while and then meant to go back to it and, um, well, unfortunately other games came along that uh, that have just kept me busy since. Yeah. So. It, it made yeah. me think a lot of um, Darkest Dungeon. Well, I, I don't think a lot of Darkest Dungeon actually, but uh, it's true that the game pushes you forward. So uh, it is a, it is a good story. It is a good story. I, I got the, the the male protagonist, the one who, which was basically the blacksmith apprentice. Bear, <laughs> I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, should be same bear from the game, and uh, and yes, it was a cool narrative. Uh, then it's like fans say that there are more games, and you end up yeah. if you don't finish it quick, you I, don't finish it. I've just checked what happened, and Disco Elysium went on sale sometime while ah. I was playing it. And uh, uh, good luck, <laughs> anything, anything ever made being better than Disco Elysium, which is one of the finest games I've ever had the pleasure of playing. Yeah, it's not exactly a fair comparison. <laughs> They've just done, yeah. They've just done the the big updated full ultimate whatever edition for Disco Elysium, and I'm I'm just trying to finish other things before I go back to playing that because I'll be gone for a week when it happens. <laughs> mm, it was a fantastic game. Um, speaking of fantastic games, it's time for us to go on to uh, another like heavy narrative, uh, cooperative experience with my emergency topic because unfortunately David couldn't be with us today. He's recovering. He'll be back in the next uh, episode with um, a, a lovely game to talk about. But uh, I've I've jumped in with something I've been itching to talk about for a while, and that is Dead of Winter from Jonathan Gilmore and Isaac Vega. Now, before I go into the game, I actually want to briefly just talk about Isaac Vega, who is uh, I'm not sure if you guys are completely aware, but he uh, he's like one of uh, one of the big sort of important voices within. Um, within board games, because uh, he's uh, he, he's a gay man, um, a gay I should just say, uh, and he's he's baked into uh, a, a desire to promote LBGTQ plus representation in gaming, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And Dead of Winter was one of the first games that did this. Uh, it has um, homosexual encounters depicted within the first game. And the uh, Long Night, the expansion, actually has one of board game's first uh, openly trans characters in Hugo Valentine, which is like fantastic. He, he's this has been an important thing to him. He's also the guy behind Ashes: Rise of Phoenixborn, which is a, a wonderful living card game that, if you've not played, it marries dice and card game play together in a fantastic way. And both of these games also have artwork from Fernanda Suarez which is oh, she's 
she's just superb at characterization um, and bringing everything together. And I'm going to I'm going to gush about the characters in Dead of Winter. It's, you know, so I just wanted to put it out there and just say this game is designed by somebody who had a goal of increasing representation in the board game industry with Dead of Winter, nailed it and had some fantastic support from other designers from Plaid Hat and from artists to get this that's like, always together. great to hear it is it absolutely is so uh dead of winter is a it's now a one to eleven player game although typically it's one to five players or two to five players that can be played cooperatively or can be played semi-cooperatively with a potential betrayer but not necessarily have a betrayer at all times it follows the usual format of uh, that was set by pandemic of um, there's a crisis going on you have to try and resolve and deal with the crisis uh, but also you have to deal with the pressure of zombies piling up outside and also, you, the, the really clever thing is everyone gets dealt at the start of the scenario their own personal secret objective, which is unbelievably selfish. You could just be trying to hoard food or medicine or guns. You could be uh, trying to burn down the entire place or maybe even just have some people die. Who knows? It's, it's all sort of... I'd like that so much because it obfuscates if there is a betrayer because people are constantly doing stuff that's a little bit selfish and a little bit like, are you lying? You are lying, but why are you lying? Um, the the game is has an action, a dice-based action mechanic. You you roll dice at the start of the turn and the you're able to perform actions as long as you've got a result higher equal to or higher than the requirement. Um, each character themselves is they have search and fighting set as their traits plus a kind of ranking of how important they are and for me the characters are really what brings the game together a good zombie story is never about the zombies the zombies are just the pressure that forces everyone to come together the good story is about what people do and how they react and how they interact and dead of winter does that through these characters who you just get a standee and a card to start with, and they immediately speak to you. Whether it's uh, um, a parapsychologist or a janitor or an ex-soldier or a mayor, or perhaps a mall Santa that absolutely everybody hates because he's a terrible drunk, or everybody's favourite, the stunt dog. There's, there's just these characters that leap off the page, uh, and it's all like thanks to the artwork, which is just gorgeous. Like... I think this game looks better than well-painted miniature games, and they're just standees. I, I, I really do. Um, the other wrinkle to all of this is the mechanic that Plaid Hat was selling as being the big thing, which is the crossroads mechanic. Uh, what it is is a deck of cards that the person sitting next to you will draw one during your turn and look to see if you achieve the trigger event on it, and then something narrative might happen. You might find a new survivor, you might um, discover some new supplies, or somebody might be doing something a bit off or weird, and th this has given them a lot of a lot of great ways of introducing more story. They've embraced how these games work. I'm sure you've all played like Arkham Horror or some other cooperative game with a lot of narrative built into it. And suddenly something unbelievably weirdly stupid has happened that like just takes you out of the game for a moment. You know, you're like, uh, 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 suddenly your, your character falls over an apple and 
down a hole in a grating and dies. You know, it's like, what's that got to do with what's going on? And instead, Dead Winters grabbed this and gone, hey, we're gonna we're gonna embrace this and bake it into the game, and you're gonna have these goofy, stupid moments where a, a helicopter crashes out of the sky, and then the pilot climbs out and goes, "Oops, do you mind if I join you?" And you go, "Sure, why not?" Um, but uh, it's fantastic, really great. Uh, this game comes in three like there's three main boxes. There is Dead of Winter Crossroads game, which was the first one that was released, and that was back in 2014, and it, it did have a big change. It's had an impact on the texture of games for years afterwards. It was then followed up with The Long Night, which built on the original Crossroads, so much so that I'm going to say if you're going to get one, The Long Night is definitely the better choice because it adds in base building, it adds in a lot of extra variants into what the locations you're searching for supplies will have. And um, it also gives you a few additional scenarios dealing with bandits and super zombies like the Left for Dead ones. It might not be to everyone's taste, uh, but you can play around with the different scenarios and fix things together uh, to get what you want. I personally prefer the characters from the first Crossroads game. They're the ones I'm most familiar with. But the second one has some great characters in it as well. Uh, like Hugo Valentine, who I mentioned before. Um, but also there's Blue, the uh, super sentient, like super intelligent monkey um, who, from Raxon Experiments. It's... Uh, oh. I, 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 I just love this game so much. I really do. Uh, I f keep forgetting about it, putting it on the shelf not playing it for a while and then coming back to it and just being like, oh yeah, this game just gives you stories. It just comes to life. Um, so, oh. well, anyway, I've gushed. Uh, do you guys, have you guys had any experience with Dead of Winter? Yes, once! Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, honestly, it was just once. It was like uh, three and a half years ago. I was I barely arrived in Italy. I was still learning the language, and I had discovered that at a board game cafe there was a group of people meeting reg semi regularly on I don't remember Friday evenings or Sunday evenings. Or, I don't remember, but that's not important. And I talked with them, and we said, "Oh yeah, let's meet uh, that day." And we went with uh, with my boyfriend as well because he followed me in Italy, and so. So we went, we met the people, I, I was trying to speak a bit, and they were like, wow, your Italian is already so good compared to our French. Well, I've been living here for six months now, no, no choice. And yeah, and so we, we started playing, and um, at some point I had to draw an, an event, and it was something like struggling in the library uh, about, uh, I don't remember exactly what, but the card was heavy with text. And I was reading the text, and I had no idea what the words that left my mouth were meaning. But yeah, I, I, I was reading it, and I was like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I didn't understand what I was doing. That's a bit stupid, but that that was fun. Though. Except these event cards, I understood pretty fast the game because it's not complicated. No, it's really and, not. And that's something interesting because yeah, you have the events that are a bit text heavy, but the rest of the game is really okay. Yeah, well, if you play it as a solo game, you 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 kind of have to leave the crossroads deck to one side because it doesn't really work. It works when you play two player, um, but as a solo game exercise, it is still very interesting given the weight of the mechanics um, and the fact that they're not too heavy to operate, even though there's a lot going on. 
you, you can get a clear idea of what your objectives and scenario are, what your objectives on the given turn are, uh, how you win, how you lose. It, it just all kind of grabs you um, really well. I've only played it, uh, I think, two or three times um, when I was in a collocation um, a few years back when my, uh, my roommates had the game. Um, I remember it being a very interesting, um, uh, how would I say, a very interesting um, vehicle for social deduction and social interaction games. A mechanics um, yeah. like a, a werewolf but a lot more involved and interesting um, I had a lot of, the, uh, of fun with it but uh, I never I never really you know uh, got into the, the game more than that but uh, I, I remembered it fondly yeah it's it, I've often found people do you know do, do have fond memories of playing it and then have trouble getting back to playing it again because uh, it is a heck of a, a chore to set up like... Yeah, that's possibly the case. I, I played it, I think, a couple of couple of times, but it, it looks like ages ago. I, I would say seven or eight years ago, but I, I actually don't know how much time has passed. It's more than five years because I, I keep track of the last five years pretty decently, so it was a lot of time ago my my little brother has it so i played it with his friends it actually took a bit to set up but not to explain i remember that uh, I, I remember that the game was pretty simple uh, the crossroads uh, version the one the first one I remember it being pretty simple and I remember it that and I hope that I'm using the right terms because I played it in Italian I, I, we never went for colony goal basically everyone was doing their selfish goal <laughs> and uh, we, we we never managed to win a game so yeah yeah that is a hard thing to balance um, I, speaking of which I really like the mechanic they've included in the game where every resource you collect identifies on it where it's come from because when you have your uh, like individual crisis goal for the turn, players have to get whatever, say, get like five cans of food or something to succeed. And those cards are put in face down secretly. Nobody knows who's contributed what. But when they're shuffled and revealed, they print the locations on them. And there's a wonderful bit of evidence and tracking you can keep an eye on. Because if you know where people have been and bad items get put in, you might have a chance of spotting who did it which is a neat way of getting towards finding out who a potential betrayer is. But also, they could have just stuck stuff in because they're lying about the fact that they want to keep five cans of food in their inventory and they were trying to look helpful, you know, and thinking everyone would get enough in otherwise. So it's a, just just neat little things like that. Decisions made do a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, so I've played it a fair bit more than you guys, and I actually have played with the second expansion that was released, and this is called Warring Colonies, and it's a small box expansion. Um, if you're just playing with the typical group, it adds some more characters and some more crossroad events, including, and there's something Long Night, uh, some that have a trigger warning, and we're gonna, I will just talk about those briefly in a moment, because, oof, you know, there's a bit of a story there. Um, so Warring Colonies basically lets you take Crossroads and the Long Night and put both colonies on the table and people play 
members of one of the two colonies that are in conflict within the same area and competing over resources and there can only be one winning colony or maybe both colonies but probably not and you could even have if you have an odd number of players a lone wolf player who's just their group of survivors is on their own and has their own objective it's it's amazing it's really hard to get enough people you can start at five four to five players to play warring colonies but it doesn't come to life until you're about a number of seven or nine and then it's a kind of all-day event really a lot of sort of social chatting and back and forth and um lines drawn in the sand and people switching loyalties and trying to you know cooperate when the situation requires it you know it's um it's it's impressive as heck uh, so uh, twilight imperium without the war crimes but with the felonies team war crime yeah, team twilight imperium if you like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, with sometimes one person just wandering around throwing a spanner in all the works and proclaiming themselves to be the bandit king yeah but uh yeah i wanted to get back to one of the other things and it was the crossroad cards and as i mentioned the trigger warning ones so this is anyway the setting the the genre zombie movies can be quite dark anyway it's often very bleak the walking dead a lot of terrible things happen in that it's it's always been a tradition of it to show the best and the worst of humanity under stressful situations uh the uh, the um the long night and i think warring colonies come with an envelope which literally has a trigger warning printed on it that says you might not want to play with these cards um these ones deal with very dark subjects and i was like you know yeah sure whatever like fine i I, i'm not bothered and i opened the packet up to take a look and flick through you know what one of the cards I read was about you running into a member of your colony who is doing something with a zombie that um, is, you know, doing the deed. And yeah. and, and I, I read that and I re- and I was like, you know what? You know what, Plat Hat? You may not want to play with that. Yeah, you know what, Plat Hat? I, I'm, I'm okay with dealing games dealing with these kind of subjects because board games are art and you should plumb into them i'm fine with this existence but you weren't kidding when you said trigger warning like yes you know wow (laughs) wow i i'm impressed that they went there with that and also it's tough because you're playing a game and you're in a situation where you look at the consequences and you might be like i know ethically what's the right thing here this needs to stop this needs to be dealt with this person this can't happen no 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 this is this is awful and then you look at the the results and you might be like oh my god i we might have to look the other way on this because otherwise the colony will collapse and just putting you for a moment in that dilemma and that decision is really challenging like i haven't had that exact event come up during a game but we've had other ones from the trigger packs turn up that have had us all going well we know what we want to do but can we actually do the right thing here because it's gonna set us back severely are we gonna have to look the other way on this it's um it's something like the king's dilemma touches on a bit with uh you know like the um the, the very opening thing touches into slavery. That's not really a big spoiler to say one of the first decisions is about slavery. And then there's a one a bit further down the way that you th- consider whether you might burn some things because of something someone's done to vaguely get at it. Might remove some some precious materials from a, a man, shall we say? Yeah, that, that, that mm. my, my boyfriend was pressing for one uh, decision in particular that... that 
we would deem completely unethical and mm. he was like yeah no we have to do it and we, we voted against that and we had bad consequences <laughs> yeah. and since then he's been I told you we should have done that. Yeah. I that's I I do like it when a game challenges you within the framework to consider a hard tough situation and and actually deal with the consequences and not necessarily have them be good and make you question yourself and and think about it. So yeah, King's Dilemma. Uh, I I think the like the slavery one in the King's Dilemma right at the start. I, there's such low stakes at that point that I'd be surprised if many groups are like, oh, slavery's fine, because they're, slavery's they're, not they're fine. Sold, they're sold so as slavery decision mm. uh, next to the end, anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's another thing that may, I, I did stop for a moment, and I was like, you know what, it's not often a board game really makes me sit and think about this and, and then be like, you got me. You, you, you got me. Yeah. Uh, well done. Well done. And Yeah. yeah. And, and putting that behind a spoiler mm. tag is just perfect. Yeah. I, imagine, imagine being the game editor who decided, uh, well, may, maybe, maybe we should put a trigger warning on these cards. <laughs> I give him uh, or her a 10 award. The, the unsung heroes of this hobby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's a very adult, sensible, smart decision to include them and another one to put them uh, to one side away from the main pool and say, you know, you make your decision about whether you're okay with these being in the game or not. Because that's something else I find a lot of people have trouble with is something about playing with house rules can make you feel like you're not really playing the game. You're kind of this sensation of cheating. Um, and But having the game officially say, if you don't play with these, that's fine, is a nice release for people. So, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I want to go back and just set up Dead of Winter and play it again some more now. Like, even as a solo game, I, I really enjoy... I enjoy how it comes to life. I enjoy the character stories and everything. It's um, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, we'll briefly now. Um, there was a follow-up to the Crossroads game, Gen Seven. I haven't had a chance to play it. It seems to have not been as well regarded. Uh, I think maybe the change in designer because there's a Isaac Vega isn't involved in Gen Seven, and I genuinely think it's Isaac Vega's presence that makes such a difference because we have since had i gotta get the name right um it's the pirate game that came out last year it uh, forgotten waters which people have just really loved and i want i want to get my hands on it and it's impossible at the moment it's just sold out everywhere but i think uh for me at least if i see a game from isaac vega i'm going to be going ahead very much like oh, I've I got to pay attention to this because his work has been phenomenal ever since he burst onto the scene and then really cemented himself with Dead of Winter. So, big recommendation for me. Fantastic social deduction game. Good as a pure cooperative game with no betrayal. Amazing uh, as a huge group game with the Warring Colonies if you've got a whole day to spare on it. And a interesting solo puzzle because you play the hard versions of the scenarios. So, it more or less covers everything. Um, I will just say, as I mentioned before, The Long Night is the one you should buy. And the other two are only if you are just a huge, huge fan of what's going on. So, that's Dead of Winter. I have to say this, a game for all seasons. <laughs> 
except it's constantly set in winter. I would, uh, which I, I would love. Um, I would have loved to see another season. Um, but yeah, the the winter includes the frostbite mechanic, which no, oh, that makes traveling like super scary. I didn't even talk in the main bit about that dice, that awful exposure dice you have to roll whenever you move anywhere, that tempts you to burn fuel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, so um, are we are we done? Yeah. Uh, very. We, we probably done. Yeah. Very fun game. I would uh, I would recommend for the little that I've played it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be something worth going back to sort out with some online play. Uh, let's, uh, right. Okay, so shall I wrap up? Yeah, uh, and it's time also to say that we have a new Patreon. We Did we mention that? So, hello, Garrett. <laughs> hello, Garrett. Welcome to the... Uh, Welcome! The Cool Kids Club. Yeah, th- thank you for your support. The, the, this will allow, allow us to back uh, one more Kickstarter this year, possibly. <laughs> Looking to one more game, yeah. Yeah. No, vi- because the objective is to get the last standy to 2022. Mm, uh, actually, the, the objective is to pay for the hosting. So, well, he, he, this is getting boring <laughs> from now. So, <laughs> yeah. the objective is to just uh, keep going on a little bit more. It, regardless, we greatly appreciate support from our patrons. Thank you. You are fantastic. Um, and hopefully you can help us grow the brand and get us to a point where we can just pipe the best, most steaming, hottest new games straight into your ears. Yeah, and we, you will also allow us to give uh, David the more appropriate medical care. Oh, God, yeah, he could really do with the kidney. <laughs> He's having a rough time. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's all. Hi, David, yes. we miss you. <laughs> Hi, David, yeah. Um, so, and that's all we have time for in this episode. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standee or as The Last Standee on Twitter. And until next time, we have been The Last Standee. So goodbye from Alexis. From Belgium. Au revoir. Alessio. Bye, everyone. Audrey. Bye bye. Not David, because he's not here. And myself, and remember that the second E in Standee is for exposure.